Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Investor Podcast, live streaming from Bigger Pockets Conference 2023 here in Orlando. Sorry if the camera is a little bit dark. Unfortunately, there's just not a whole lot that I can do about that. Maybe I can change the angle up a little bit. Oh, yeah, that's much better. There we go. Um, yeah, so we, we're live from uh, Bigger Pockets uh, Conference down here in Orlando, which has been a lot of fun. It's been a great time. This is day three, I guess, of the conference. Hanging out and uh, and catching up with with my friends and investors from from all over the country, which has been uh, really nice. We've created a whole bunch of content for you all, uh, asking some of these top dogs, you know, their thoughts on the market. What are they doing in 2024? So we're we're gonna have some fun with that coming out over the next few weeks. Um, yeah, done a whole bunch of networking, learned a whole bunch, created a whole bunch of content. It's been really good. Morning, Anthony. How's it going? Good to hear from you. Mike is asking, is saying, hey, Tyler, last week you recommended taking the CCIM 104 course. CCIM is suggesting that I start with a CCIM 101 course. Is it required or necessary to complete the 101 before enrolling in the 104? You know, I um, I think it's good to take what, I mean, that's what I did. I took 101, then 104. Uh, it's nice to have the base that you get out of 101 before you go into 104. Now, if you're already experienced in commercial real estate, I don't know that it necessarily matters, but uh, 101 does kind of open you up to how to learn from CCIM. Um, but, you know, look, at the end of the day, I, they can't tell you. I mean, I guess they could. It's their curriculum. If they will not let you take 104, then then you're kind of stuck. Uh, but I would say you're if you don't want to take all the classes and you just want to take CCIM 104, I don't see why that would be a problem. Uh, I don't think that you're really going to be missing out on a whole lot. So hopefully, hopefully that works for you. Let me know how it goes, Mike. Rusty, what asset class are you bullish on uh, going into the next few years? That's a great question. I um, I really like flax. I really like flax. You know, it, it's always tough for me to answer these questions. Like, what is my favorite asset class? Because at the end of the day, I mean, we're, I'm an opportunistic investor, right? Anything that comes up that is a good opportunity, we're going to jump on it. You know, we, we don't focus on one single asset class. We don't focus on one geographic area necessarily. So, um, you know, it's, it's tough because... You know, everybody, you know, you want to say like, oh, office, I'm staying away from office. Well, but that's not true, right? Like if a deal comes up, that's a really good office deal or office to storage conversion or something along those lines that like, yeah, I'm probably going to jump on it. Uh, but yeah, I would say flex space for sure is the one that I'm most bullish on because flex space, you just can't build it fast enough. Uh, I mean, think about it, right? You've got a product type with a lot of demand from small business owners and, you know, blue collar businesses, they're all really good businesses that need space. A lot of the flex space is getting torn down because it's in a higher, it's in an area that has a higher and better use where you typically closer to the urban core. And it's not being built back really. I mean, there's not a lot of developers out there that are building flex space. So if you can, if you can build flex buildings, I mean, you are going to have them full before you even, uh, before you even deliver them usually. Uh, so I would say 100%, uh, very, very bullish on flex. 
Evan is asking, do you think rates will go down after the elections? And sorry that uh, I don't have all of my technical gear here. It's a lot of money to like share comments on the screen and do all that kind of stuff. It's not really possible to do for my laptop uh, in a hotel room, but uh, we'll get back to that next week. But Evan's saying, do you think rates will go down after the elections? I think rates could go down before. Like that's the wild card when it comes to this market right now is, you know, it seems to me like it should stay where it is for like 12 to 18 months. I don't see any reason for it to go down. Um, but the election is the big wild card. You know, what's going to happen is, is the incumbent going to drop uh, or force the Fed to drop interest rates so that, you know, the economy can look good going into the election. Who knows? Um, I'm planning on it being like this for 12 to 18 months. I think that we're just going to have higher interest rates and we're just going to have to deal with it. And, the thing is, like, going from five percent to eight percent interest rates is not—it's not—it's not a deal killer, unless you just really were negotiating bad deals. But you know, one of my biggest takeaways from from this conference is that twenty twenty four is going to be a rough year for real estate, but a good year for real estate investors. So if you're smart, you're working on um, you know finding good deals, and you're you're looking at every opportunity and just turning over every rock, you're going to find some properties that are on discount. And if you get them today on discount in a couple of years, when interest rates drop, you can refinance it. You've got yourself a home run of a deal, right? Uh, maybe it's a single today, but in two years at a 5% interest rate, it's a home run. You know, those, those are the opportunities that we're looking for. So I don't think that interest rates will go down before the election, but man, it's such a, it's such a wild card. You never know when it comes to those things. Anthony, two questions. Best practices for building credit and financing relationships with lenders. Best practices for building relationships with quality general contractors. Thanks, Tyler. Oh, man, those are two really tough questions. <laughs> um, so building credit, I mean, I look, I'm not the best person to talk about uh, to talk about building credit because I have like I think my credit score is under 700. I paid cash for everything for so long. Um, up until like, I think probably two years ago, I got my first credit card. Uh, so it's, it's so funny. Like we're out here, you know, buying all these buildings and all this kind of stuff. And I can't qualify to buy a house because I didn't have credit because I paid cash for everything. I think, I think the credit market is so broken. It doesn't make any sense. Like if you don't have enough credit, you're penalized. If you apply for more credit, you're penalized. If you use your credit, you're penalized. If you pay down credit, you're penalized. None of it makes sense. Like every way you turn around, you just get you get points taken off. Um, I know there's ways to hack the system, but I just I couldn't care enough. As far as financing relationships with lenders, man, I think that uh, just reach out to them, take them out for lunch. And, and, and it's the same with contractors, reach out to them, take them out to lunch and, and just, you know, stay in touch with them every, every few weeks, buy them coffee. Um, I mean, at the same time though, like they should want your business. They should also also be reaching out to you, trying to get business from you because you're the one that's going to be paying them for the work that you want done. Right. So, you know, as far as like, courting different uh general contractors goes i mean we like to have people come in and and you know review plans with us on a project that we're at we're seriously interested in having them take a look at bidding uh, that way we're not wasting anybody's time but you get to learn a lot from a contractor as you're going through that process 
same with lenders, honestly. Like it's it's tough to get to know a lender at first until you like go through an actual deal with them. So I mean, we'll send them, you know, it's it's a winner I just got introduced to. Well, we're sending them the package on the property to see what they can come up with. Because if nothing else, it'll spark a phone call. And then we can see kind of how they looked at the deal and how they're going through that process. And, and and again, same with the contractor. We get to see how they look at this set of plans and, you know, how their team thinks about doing certain parts of the build out, all that kind of stuff. Dukes Prepper County. Good morning, Tyler. Is there any website or resource uh, to locate a potential ground up flex property or commercial realtor that anything like phase one or two that or other pitfalls that we should avoid um yeah dukes i mean you know you've got loopnet you've got crexy um you could use uh, the mls to find um commercial uh you know land that could be used for flex space um i mean there's there's even like i don't know what landforsale.com there's a whole bunch of there's a whole bunch of websites out there where you can go and find um land uh, for sale. So I think, you know, taking that approach, um, I always recommend hiring a realtor. Um, well, not a realtor, a commercial real estate broker. <clears throat> Most commercial brokers are not necessarily realtors. Um, but yeah, hire, hire a commercial broker to work alongside you. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to pay them. Um, more often than not, they get paid by the seller. But even if you go find the deal, you know, chances are good. You're probably going to want them involved in the transaction anyway, because they're going to help you coordinate everything, make your life a lot easier, but they've already got all those connections and they know where to look, where to find these things. They're probably already talking to these property owners. Um, but if you're, if you're looking for it for yourself, I mean, what I do is, is I'll either let all the brokers know what I'm looking for, um, post it on all of my social media channels, um, go through LoopNet, Crexy, Craigslist, MLS, you know, whatever's, whatever's uh, potentially out there. Um, and then, you know, if it's something we, we can't find, but we're really hardcore on finding, we'll start sending mailers, right? I'll go to the tax records and pull a list of every industrially zoned piece of property in that county. And we'll start sending them, you know, letters um, to try and dig up, um, dig up some potential sites that way. Anything like a phase one or two, there are other pitfalls that we should avoid. So like the second part of your question, it sounds to me like you're asking about environmental on this because you're asking about a phase one or two or other pitfalls. Um, yeah, I mean, with every commercial property that you buy, you're going to be doing at least a phase one, right? And that's just a, a you know documentation of what's going on with the property, right? Because you might... Um, they're just going to go back through the historical records to see if there's anything ever nearby or on this site that could have caused environmental contamination. Um, so yeah, always get a survey, always do a phase one environmental. Um, if you're going to be building anything, always get soil tests, right? You know, I mean, I've seen guys buy pieces of land that they think are good and they start core drilling in there. turns out you've got some incredibly soft dirt and you've got to dig down like 80 feet deep to get footers in. Um, which is not a good place to be, obviously. Um, and I've also seen the opposite, right? People get in there, they they think that, oh, you know, we've got some really good soil here. It turns out it's just solid rock. You're not going to have a fun time building on that. Dukes is saying the rates will go higher, but that isn't a bad thing. The higher the rate, the better the deal the seller has to give concessions. Yeah, I mean, look, there are plenty of sellers out there that have to sell no matter what, 
like they have to sell. I mean, I was talking to a group yesterday here at the conference that, you know, they have to sell their property. Uh, so they were asking me what, what they should do with it. Um, you know, I mean, there are plenty of those sellers out there where the, the loan's coming due, the bank doesn't want to refinance it. They don't want to refinance it because the interest rates are so much higher. Uh, some people just want to retire. They just want to get out of it all, all together. They're tired of it, whatever. And look, this is one thing that I talked about yesterday in, in, in my panel discussion. Uh, we, we had a panel discussion around commercial real estate getting started. There is seller fatigue out there. There are sellers that have been under contract once or twice. The buyers ended up terminating the contract because they couldn't get financing. And these sellers are tired of it. So it's a good time to negotiate seller financing because you can basically guarantee them that you will close, right? So keep that in your back pocket as you're going out there. Michael, how would I get a good appraisal on a commercial lot in an unsophisticated market? By that, I mean everyone here lists on the regular MOS. I don't think they know how to value properly. Um, how would you get a good appraisal on a commercial lot? Um, I mean, I would go through... Uh, I, you know, you can't really control who the appraiser is if the bank is is picking the appraiser. Um, but what I would do is, I, I mean, if it's a commercial appraiser, they're not going to do what residential agents do when they're trying to to give you a, an opinion of value. Um, I mean, they're going to actually go through and pull cops. Like they have to, like appraisers have to study quite a bit um, to get their appraisal des designation. So most of them are pretty good. What I usually do when it comes to uh, appraisals on my properties is I'll go through and pull a list of all of the cops that I think are comparable to the property and you know, a list of all the improvements that we've made or what could be built here, all of that kind of stuff. And I try and meet them on site and talk to them and give it to them, right? Because it makes their lives so much easier if you've already done a lot of the research now, as long as it's like realistic and you're not saying, hey, you know, this lot is comparable to Maine and Maine and downtown New York City, obviously it's not going to be that, right? Like as long as it is realistic, they're probably going to use your comp set. Um, now they may go through and add their own or take a couple out, but I mean, it helps them do their job better. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's how we'll typically try to get involved in that. And then I'll ask them questions. And just make sure that they fully understand what the potential with that lot is or why I feel it's worth X, um, all that kind of stuff. So that's that's typically what we'll do is we just try and have as hands-on of an approach as you possibly can because um, often that is the most important part of the process. you got to make sure that, that appraisal comes in where you need it to. Oh, man. Starbucks is not nearly as good as retrograde coffee. That's for sure. Okay, let's see. Joe is asking, where do you find good contractors for industrial? Talk to engineers. Talk to your civil engineers. Um, civil engineers are dealing with industrial developers all the time. I mean, your civil engineers are, and, and architects to be fair, but more often than not on the industrial side, you're probably going to have engineering involved and not necessarily architecture. Um, depends on the, the style of the building. But yeah, your civil engineer is going to be really good because one, they're working with all the contractors that are doing industrial projects. But two, the civil engineer is overseeing a lot of the work that the contractors are doing. So the civil is going to have a better idea of who the better contractors are for a specific type of, of, of development um, or construction than pretty much anybody else. So highly recommend just talking to your civil engineer and saying, 
you know, who they like, who's out there working on that type of product. It's definitely the best way to find them. Luke, do you tend to build a relationship with a seller so hopefully you can close on a property? If so, do you do mailing campaign? Um, I'm assuming like by build a relationship with a seller, you're meaning like just getting brand recognition with them because you were talking about doing a mailing campaign. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it depends, right? Like sometimes, um, I mean, I, I don't personally do that anymore, right? My brokers do all of that. So I, I'm not involved on like the day-to-day unless it's somebody that directly calls me and says, hey, I want to sell right now. Let's talk. Um, but yeah, I mean, my brokers are fostering those relationships and making sure that they stay in touch. You know, I mean, you want to stay in touch with these people once a month, maybe, maybe a little bit less, but I mean, you never know, right? And you want to make sure that you're the one that's top of mind whenever they do decide to sell. So that could be as simple as putting them on a newsletter, calling them every other month, um, and making sure that they get a, a mailer once a quarter, right? I mean, I had a group that called me like a year or a year and a half after sending them a mailer. Like they had kept it, put it on their fridge. They tried to work on the property themselves, decided they didn't want to deal with it after like six months and just called me and said, hey, will you come list this? Um, it was seriously like a year and a half later. Um, and I, I'm, I went back and looked, I'm pretty sure it was like the only mailer I ever sent them, um, which is pretty funny. So yeah, I mean, it's any way that you can build a relationship with a seller, highly recommend doing it because you just never know where that's going to come back and help you. And obviously people want to do business with people that they know, right? So the more that they know, like, and trust you, the more likely that you are to get that deal. Let's see. Can you... Joe is saying, can you get a construction loan on a seller finance deal? That's a good question. So when you when you do seller finance, the seller is typically going to want a first position loan or lien. Well, also loan, but lien. So when you go to get a construction loan, that bank is also going to want a first position. Now, the construction loan is typically going to be done through a traditional bank, which is going to argue heavier for a first position than a seller finance would. But if I was a seller on seller finance, not a chance am I taking a second position. There are a lot of sellers out there that do it. They get comfortable with it. And that's totally fine. I'm just saying from my perspective, like I wouldn't do it. So in many cases, no, you will not be able to get a construction loan on a seller finance deal. You end up having to refinance the entire debt out and put a new loan on the property unless the seller is willing to take a second position, which if they are and your senior debt is willing to accept a second position, then you're good to go. Gabe is asking, any update on the Salt Ranch project? Yes, we finally got our permits like, I don't know, a month ago. Um, after 10 months of working through that with Na- the city of Nashville, just absolute nightmare. Um, it's tough to see. I mean, they, they just haven't really focused on uh, improving what they're doing down there, uh, metro permitting and zoning, planning and zoning. Um, so we are we are back at it. We're under construction, aiming to deliver in the spring. Um, so really excited to get that one going. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um. Yeah, y'all feel free to jump in with any other questions that you've got. It looks like we've got about 10 minutes uh, more remaining on this uh, office hours. I just got the Oculus 
this past week. I don't know if y'all have ever looked at that. I'm not a big video game guy at all. I mean, I haven't really played video games since I was for like, I don't know, eight or 10 years. But the the things that you can do architecturally with the Oculus are pretty wild. I mean, you can like zoom in on floor plans and look at these things 3D and change all this stuff up. It's pretty wild. So I'm going to be messing around with that for a little while. Um, once I kind of learn how all of that stuff works, we'll do a video on it. And we'll get you guys uh, some information on how the Oculus could actually be inc- like a huge game changer for real estate. The more that I was watching my buddies use it and like looking at the the programs that it had for design and being able to tour spaces, I was like, man, this is this could be a huge, you know, like I said, game changer for real estate. Sophisticated investing with Joseph is saying, hi, Tyler, just curious. What did you do before you started in commercial real estate? When did you leave your day job? Uh, I love that because I never had a day job. I, I dropped out of college. Um, that's it. Dropped out of college. I was in sales. I mean, I, I sold knives at Cutco um, like the summer that I graduated from high school. Did really well with that. Made like $30,000 that summer. Realized that I could sell and uh, got bored of sitting in class. So dropped out after my freshman year. Um, got offered a job from a boutique development firm that uh, I had sold some Cutco knives to the the owner for his beach house. Um, went over there, worked for four and a half years as the in-house leasing agent, and then left and started my own thing in 2018. So we've been doing it ever since. Michael, is there money to be made in finding deals and bringing them to brokers? Ooh, that's an interesting question. Um, one, I think, I think, the majority of the money to be made out there is in finding deals. I mean, I, I that's funny because I actually talked about this yesterday at the at our panel. I think that that's the number one skill that you can have to get started as a commercial real estate investor. Even if you have no money, if you have no skills on how to get a, a, a project across the finish line or funded or any of that, finding a deal is a great way because you're going out there and finding something that everybody wants, right? Now, bringing them to brokers, I don't know that there's any money to be made in that because brokers don't like to share their commissions. Brokers don't, even though they like, you know, they'll have it in their agreements that they will split commissions with other brokers, all this kind of stuff. Not every broker is this way. There are some really great brokers out there, but we've dealt with some brokers that have tried to cut us out of a deal when we're clearly representing the client. Um, and they just make it an absolute nightmare to work with them. So I, I mean, Michael, I would skip bringing deals to brokers. I'd go straight to the investors, you know, and you can build those lists up from your property tax records, from watching, um, you know, transactions in the local business journal, you know, that you could always, I mean, there's always, at least in Nashville, there's something every day going on. So we're like, oh, that's a new group out of, you know, Miami. Cool. All right. Let's add them to the list. Uh, so we just pay attention to that for quite a while. But yeah, I think finding deals is the best way. I mean, one, you can get paid for it. Or two, you could just get equity in the deal, right? There's so many different ways for you to negotiate that and get involved. I think it's I think it's a great thing to to do. And I think it's one of the best skill sets that you can have in commercial real estate. Joe, are you in need of a of land acquisition manager on your team? Um, if you're talking about on the development team, no, sir. Uh, we, we are not, I've, I've run a very lean development team and I handle all the acquisitions on that front. Um, if you're talking about on the brokerage side of things, like if you've got a skill set 
um, to to out and find land for clients. But yeah, absolutely. Let's talk. I mean, we have a minimum requirement of $25 million a year for our commercial real estate brokers on my team. Um, we'd be happy to talk to you. Joshua, in the weeks you said you've been looking at flips on the residential side could make this pivot. Did you think there could be downturn in commercial industry right now? Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, we've been anticipating a downturn for a while. That doesn't mean that we're getting out of commercial by any means. We're just sitting on the sidelines at the moment, waiting for the right opportunity to come along because I strongly believe that like in six months is when the buying opportunity is going to begin. If you look at the economy, uh, this recession is really going to be based, in my opinion, uh, or at least that's what I feel, uh, is going to be based very heavily on consumer debt, right? Like 2008 was based on, you know, junk mortgages. And, you know, the consumer debt is going to max out at the end of this month um, or, or sometime in November, meaning the majority of Americans will have maxed out their credit cards. So that's when we're going to start saying the economy really take a hit. So I don't want to buy anything today because people are paying rent. They are out there spending at retail shops, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But in six months, they might not be, right? I already have buddies that are starting to say like, yeah, I'm, I'm having a hard time collecting rents in my apartment complex. Yeah, you know, foot traffic is dying at this retail shop. Like once those tenants get into a distressed situation, that is when uh, real estate will be on sale. So that's what we're kind of keeping an eye out for, I think. I think there's a huge opportunity right now in residential. It's very secure. Like, I'm not going to go do a single family buy and hold. Like, it's just not worth my time. But I will do a single family flip. I mean, like, every way that we look at it, there's a hundred to $150,000 in profit with this style of house flip that we're doing, which is very different from what most people do. But it's kind of hard to say no to a hundred to $150,000 of flip. You can do these in three months you know, six months, depending on permits, we do four of those a year. Like, absolutely. Yeah. We'll add that to it. We'll add that residential vertical to our development firm. NVSTRZ is saying, wondering, how do you manage your money not invested in real estate? Also, do you invest in the stock market, money markets, et cetera, et cetera? Right now, I do not. I don't invest in anything other than uh, real estate. I had crypto for a little while and that was cute, but I don't know that market. I don't see why that market would ever do well. Um, so I got out of it, sold everything, um, ended up just adding some more stuff on in my house because <laughs> I'm like, yeah, well, that'll increase the value of the house. So I understand that. Um, at some point I will diversify into stocks and bonds. I mean, I use, um, what is that app called? Acorns. It's pretty great. Uh, I just connected my personal credit cards to it and that automatically, you know, sets aside like, I don't know, a hundred bucks a week plus, you know, rounds up every, you know, dollar that I spend or whatever. Um, and that's, that's pretty nice. Uh, it's just easy. It's on autopilot, but no, I mean the, the returns that I can get in real estate but on deals that I'm actively working on compared to the stock market, it makes no sense for me at this time to di diversify. Um, at some point it will. And that's, you know, when I'm starting to get older and slowing down, um, or just, you know, trying to mitigate some risk, but right now it's all in real estate. In business, I've got I've got four active businesses that I run. Michael's saying, yeah, we'll be 40 to 50% off everything middle of next year. Couldn't agree more. I think we're starting to see that already. 
uh, it was a Jay Scott yesterday was saying that cap rates have gone up, or maybe it was Paul Moore was saying that cap rates have gone up 59% in Phoenix, Arizona. 59%. That means property values are down 59% in Phoenix, Arizona. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that those are that's what they'll sell for. But, I mean, if cap rates are going up and people are asking for a 59% higher cap rate than what they were asking, that's a pretty big deal. That's a very big deal. Well, I guess it doesn't necessarily equate to a 59% decrease in value. I don't know. I'd have to run the math on that. But, I mean, a cap rate, if it's 4 and now it's six and a half. That's a or six and a quarter. That's a pretty high job. Let's see, Jordan. Do you know any commercial investor boutique brokers in Tampa to join forces? That is a good question. I don't think I know anybody in Tampa. Um, but if you're a commercial real estate boutique broker in Tampa and you're watching this live stream, reach out to Jordan McCoy. Um, Jordan, leave your uh, leave your contact info in the comments. Um, just in case somebody comes back and watches this and I'll, I'll ask around today while I'm at the conference, see, uh, what all we got going on here. See if there's anything else, but, uh, all right, well, that looks like that is all the time that we have for today. Thank you all for joining me for this week's office hours. We're doing this every Tuesday at 8 30 AM central standard time. So feel free to jump in with all of your questions on commercial real estate. We'll get you coached up and, uh, I mean, Bring your deals. Let's let's look at some deals. Um, happy to to help you underwrite and do all that kind of stuff. So I think uh, I think it'd be a lot of fun. Uh, appreciate the kind words, guys. Dukes is saying you're the best. Tyler Michael saying I'm a super fan. Well, I appreciate you all. I couldn't be doing this without you all. So thank you so much again uh, for jumping in. I love spending this time with you guys. I'll see y'all next week. <laughs>